0: But I think a lot of times what happens where we go wrong with nutrition is we try to make a dietary solution solve a non-dietary problem. Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board-certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Gut Check Radio. It's your host, Dr. Nick here. So I was having a revelation, which I don't have very much, so this was kind of a big deal, The other night while I was walking around after dinner, and I continued that revelation into my morning walk the following day, and I thought, you know, I used to believe certain things within the nutrition, health, and wellness landscape that I've completely altered my mind on, and these are things that at the point in time that I believed them to be true, I believed that there was no way in heck that in the future I would ever change my mind on them. And for me, this was a very powerful learning lesson to know that you should hold on to, I've heard this term somewhere, but I I believe it's hold on to strong beliefs loosely or hold on to true beliefs loosely or something to that degree. Essentially, you can have things that you believe or things that you value, probably more so things that you believe. But you should hold on to them loosely and that's a really good idea when you're working with people in a clinical setting or even if you're trying to unpack your own health and if you're having gut check moments in your own health i think it's really important to have beliefs but to understand that those beliefs can be altered so they're more so a malleable belief than actually a set in stone belief and on today's episode i'm going to talk about three health topics that I've almost completely shifted my mindset around. And hopefully you all can take away a few things. Or maybe you can even take inventory of what's happening in your own life with any of these topics. The first health topic that I've completely changed my mind on is the idea that you need to avoid gluten and dairy like the plague. When I was in graduate school, I became so dogmatic that everyone should really go out of their way to avoid eating gluten or dairy. And when I say gluten, I'm referring to wheat, rye, barley, and when I say dairy, that could mean milk, ice cream, cheese, yogurt, you name it, came from a cow, probably don't eat it, unless it was meat. (laughs) Again, which is itself kind of weird, right? And I even went so far, I went to seminars in graduate school that the entire weekend was essentially proclaiming that gluten is the reason for many diseases and health problems currently in the United States. I think the seminar I went to was something to the effect of gluten, how it contributes to GI issues, which then ultimately contributes to neurological issues. And for some people, is that true? Yes. For a majority of the population, is that accurate? I don't think so. And I think there's a lot to unpack with that. And then throughout the weekend, I come to learn that the speaker has celiac disease. So that is a big, that should point up all your flags and go up, oh, you know, this is, a, this is a man, this is a human who is incredibly biased, as he should be, toward avoiding gluten consumption. He is one of the less than 1% of the population who has celiac disease, even though some people debate that it's not diagnosed enough, but even I think 1% would be more of a realistic number for that. But he's, he's of the population that if they consume gluten, They will feel horrible so because of that he almost took that and ran with it to make these proclamations that everyone should be hyper vigilant about avoiding gluten and even we've all if you've kept up to date with any sort of limelight or influencer news i use the term influencer news kind of loosely you'll know that dairy consumption has almost been more vilified than someone in a Duke family who went to the University of North Carolina, right? It's just, it's so easy to go after and to say, oh, you have XYZ problem. Just eliminate gluten or dairy. And three years ago, I was right there with everyone mentioning those same things. You know, I was telling everyone I knew to get off gluten and dairy, be hypervigilant about avoiding it. And I even told people to be cautious of anyone who says, oh, those aren't really that bad. You don't really need to worry about that. And I thought, what what do you mean? And these were even healthcare practitioners and even people in the holistic space saying these things. And I thought, what is wrong with you? How are you telling people that gluten and dairy aren't going to contribute to their inflammation and all these detrimental health outcomes? And for me, what this led to was a very unhealthy relationship with gluten and dairy. It got so bad to anytime I would consume either of them, I would binge hard. (laughs) I mean, I'm at Walmart at 12 or 1am consuming six donuts, ice cream and a whole box of cookies. And then I would I would have a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. And then I would just continuously beat myself up and sort of just feel this real sense of of regret for consuming something that I've been told and that I guess was part of my belief that is quote unquote bad. And I think this starts to really identify one of the problems with nutrition. And this was actually my point three, but I'll just give a little sneak peek to that now is when we start classifying foods as good or bad, I think we've missed the mark to me. You know, you I've learned enough about nutrition to understand that nutrition is a signal. It's a signal to our body to upregulate, downregulate, turn on, turn off, what have you. So to me, in my mind, theres not there aren't really things that are good or bad. It's all in the context of what's going on with the person. But like I said earlier, the speaker from that seminar, he had celiac disease. And there's definitely a population of people who need to avoid gluten at all costs and you can even include with that there's a term out there in a group of people that are known as they have non-celiac gluten sensitivity and there's actually some really good literature on this that says that maybe even up to five percent of the population may be dealing with this and it's essentially you get gastrointestinal issues from gluten consumption and so they labeled it non-celiac because they don't have the autoimmune response in the small intestine where you start having rampant diarrhea. You start losing parts of your small intestine because of the aberrant immune response, but they don't have that, but they get GI issues. They, they call it IBS, call it alternating constipation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, but without any actual organic pathology in their small intestine. And even just people with IBS or other autoimmune conditions probably need to be a little bit more vigilant about gluten consumption and others. And even dairy, if you're someone who has lactose intolerance or if you have a known casein allergy or back to gluten, if you have a wheat, a rye, or a barley allergy for whatever reason, if you have a known allergy to any of the proteins, that is a reason to not consume that food. I think what happens is we believe because certain people need to avoid any of these two foods that it's better if all of us avoided it. That's a valid statement and I can understand why people would think that way. But to sort of play devil's advocate, I heard a very well-rounded statement from Peter Tia, who, if you're not currently listening to him, he is probably one of my current favorite podcasts and he's just a wealth of information. But he said this and it was so profound. The nutritional approach you have when you're treating disease looks very different from the nutritional approach you're healthy let's sort of unpack what that means take someone with ibs if you have ibs there is maybe like a one in five i don't even want to give numbers but there's a pretty good chance that you're sensitive to either gluten dairy maybe even both so for a time you may need to temporarily remove those for maybe a period of three to eight weeks to allow your gut microbiome to turn over, to reset. And you might even need to avoid a lot of FODMAPs. And I don't, this isn't really a time and place to get into the nature of the FODMAP or the low FODMAP diet, but it is one of the more well-studied and has really good efficacy for helping those with IBS. Now, is a low FODMAP diet something you wanna be on in perpetuity? Absolutely not. <laughs> It is something that you want to employ when you're trying to support your GI and your IBS. But then once your GI symptoms have started to resolve and your gut has started to heal, then it is the goal to reintroduce a lot of these different FODMAPs, especially the ones that are healthier, like garlic, onion, cruciferous vegetables, certain stone fruits, and even certain nuts and seeds. So things like that. So that's an example of where just because you need to avoid it at a certain time does not mean you need to avoid it forever. And I think this is a problem we get into within the nutritional spaces. We think just because it's a problem for some people that it should just generally be avoided by everybody. And I I think we need to become more open-minded with food and understand that it's never good or bad. It just is. And it's, it's all just a signal that is being sent within the body. All right, the second health topic that I've had a pretty prominent change in my mind is being reliant on lots of supplements to feel healthy. Throughout my journey with topic one, where I was being hypervigilant about avoiding gluten and dairy, I was also spending almost $300 a month on supplements. And mind you, I was in graduate school at this time. So there's really no place to be spending that much on things meant to supplement. My life. But at the time, I was convinced and I really thought that's what I needed to be, quote unquote, healthy and well. And I was listening to all the influencers in the health, nutrition, fitness, wellness space tell me why the supplements that they were selling were the key to all of my problems. And I really respected these people and I really looked up to them and I really believed in their message. Again, we go back to these beliefs, strong beliefs held loosely. And so I thought that if I just took this one thing, this one nutrient, this one vitamin, this one herb, everything would go away. And for those of you listening who have maybe thought about that before, guess what happens when you take that thing? Oftentimes, nothing changes. <laughs> for some people, I you know, you do hear stories about someone who they were deficient in B12 or vitamin D or just needed a little bit more choline or even just whey protein and that alone completely altered their life. But I think for a lot of us out there, that is the exception, not the norm. For a lot of us, the norm is we are not one supplement away from feeling healthy. So as we thought, but these people that are selling us these supplements as the the fix to our problems, and some people do a lot better job of communicating their message and saying, Hey, this isn't meant to cure, fix, or completely treat anything. This is meant as the name implies as a supplement. So I understand where they're coming from because it's really challenging, especially in the nutrition and fitness space to sell people on these non-sexy tried and true methods of sleep, nutrition, stress management, and movement habits. And it's just so much easier to say, quote, you know, just take this thing with all these fancy molecules that you probably can't pronounce. And there's a lot of numbers and hyphens and dashes in front of it. So it makes it sound super fancy which if you really want to get into semantics, starts to sound a lot like the pharmaceutical approach. And that is not me by any means poo-pooing the pharmaceutical route. It's just you have people who are calling themselves natural and holistic who are pushing supplements in the same way that pharmaceuticals are being pushed. It's just called the, it's like the green approach to, or like the natural approach to pharmacology. So it's the same philosophy. It's just you're calling it natural. So you're trying to make it sound better. And I think if we break free from this idea that we need certain supplements to feel healthy, obviously we have essential amino acids, we have essential vitamins and we have minerals that our body needs to function. So there's definitely a time and place. But I think if we change the narrative and the rhetoric and no longer feel reliant on always needing to take things, because this is what I've seen in clinical practice. If you're trying to get healthy, and you're taking 15 different supplements. You know, I had a woman last week who gave me a list of, I think it was 18 supplements. And ironically enough, she was taking both turmeric and curcumin. And for those of you out there who are unfamiliar, curcumin is the active compound in turmeric that gives it most of its health benefits. (laughs) So she was not only taking the larger molecule, she was taking the most bioactive component. (laughs) So it just shows you that I think we've done it wrong in how we're telling people to use supplements and what their approach should be to them. When you're taking so many things, it's hard for that signal to your body to say, "Oh, I'm healthy." You know, if you're if every morning you wake up and you have a pill dispenser and you're taking 10 to 15 to 20 different things, you're sending signals to your body almost every day saying, oh, these are, these are what I need to fix me, these are what I need to heal, these are what I need to feel better. If you're sending your body a, a signal like that every day for months at a time, that's really, really hard for it to grasp that you're actually healthy. And let me just give you a little example here of what my previous supplement approach was. Because I used to be the person who was taking as many things as I get my hand on because it's, like I mentioned earlier, it's exactly what I thought I needed to feel healthy. You know, I used to take, this is daily, mind you, creatine, probiotics, omega-3s, magnesium glycinate, turmeric, vitamin E, vitamin D mixed with K2, nitrate nitrate oxide enhancers, zinc, another form of magnesium, just (laughs) so many different things that I would, you know, take with meals, without meals, in the morning, at night. And at some point, you're just, you kind of sit there and you go like, what am I doing? And then you also look at your wallet and your credit card bill. We don't really. No one really looks at their wallet anymore and be like, oh, I've spent a lot. You know, I looked at my credit card bill. I said, that's too much. <laughs> we we got to reel this in. And I could, I could take all of this money, this hundreds of dollars a month, and spend it on better quality food and maybe things to improve my sleep or my stress management or, or my exercise tactics. You know, really these foundational habits. And you know what my current most consistent supplements are? There's two. Creatine and probiotics. Those are the two things that I take the most consistently. But I mind you, I also will take supplements periodically. And this is kind of the approach I take with my patients. And I have a whole video on my Instagram live if you're or on my Instagram feed, I believe it's called something to the effect of um, how to understand or how to properly take supplements or know how to take supplements. And it's if you're going to take a supplement, you should have two things you're looking to track. You should have something subjective so how you feel energy sleep cognition performance in the gym that's number one and number two you should have something objective you're tracking so if you're taking probiotics you should keep track of your stools are you having more less harder to pass more difficult to pass more watery more strain when going if you're taking something for blood sugar you should probably have your blood sugar checked after you take if you're taking something to help with your cardiovascular risk, you should probably have different lipid panels to look at that. So you should have both something subjective and objective that you're going after. And I think for the most part, especially if you're just trying to support the body, which is what we're going with, with herbs and vitamins and minerals, I think three months is a good time frame to check in and reevaluate and see how that intervention worked. And I'll give you an example in my life of how I did this. So I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, but time and time again, I've had lab work of just super low testosterone. And for someone who is a 28-year-old male who, according to my aura Ring, gets really good sleep, I strength train five to six days a week, I really don't do a lot of endurance training, I eat plenty of sardines, meat, eggs, leafy greens, just lots of things that should be supportive for overall testosterone function. And the highest I've ever been Is 427 nanograms per deciliter. And most people for optimal health recommend above 500. The highest I've been, mind you, is 427. And it has infuriated me to no end. And my free testosterone, which as I further in clinical practice, and thank you, Peter Atiyah, for pointing this out, I'm more concerned now with free testosterone than total testosterone. But even that was low, and it's just. Again, for someone such as myself who was seemingly doing all the right things, I was just really puzzled and really confused why this was happening. So here's what I did. I bought or I purchased a supplement that had some compounds that actually show really good benefit for improving testosterone production and function. Things like Tongkat Ali. I think there was tribulus extract. I think there was even some zinc, some vitamin D, some magnesium. Uh, There was also ashwagandha in there. I think there was also stinging nettle to help with some of the liver, liver support. Because if you actually a fun fact, if you take oral testosterone, you will create mild toxicity in your liver. So they're just, I guess the supplement company was trying to hedge some of their bets. But anyways, so I took that for three months, very consistent, tracked my testosterone before and after. And afterwards I saw a 50%, 50% increase in my total, but a 600% increase in my free testosterone. And that is a topic for a whole nother podcast, but I just, I wanted to highlight that point to let you all know that that's really the approach you should be taking with supplementation is to take them acutely, have a subjective and objective thing you're going after, and don't feel like you need to take them. Don't feel reliant on any one thing, any one compound for you to live your life. And the last third and final health topic that I've changed my mind on is the idea that nutrition can solve any problem, any health problem. And this builds off the point in my first point about being hypervigilant about avoiding gluten and dairy. But I think a lot of times what happens where we go wrong with nutrition is we try to make a dietary solution solve a non-dietary problem. We have this mindset that, and I used to be this way, you know, if I just restrict more food, my brain fog will go away, I'll be happier, my sleep will improve, et cetera. And this is actually the impetus for me that led to me start carnivore. You know, I was having some I don't want to use the word depression because there's a lot of people with clinical depression that it's very serious. And I I just say I was having some mood issues and I thought it was because of the food I was eating. I thought, hey, you know, I'm eating something. And at the time I was eating fairly clean, fairly whole foods based diet. You could, I guess if you were going to put a buzzword to it, you could call it paleo. But I thought, ah, you know, is, is, it, is it the almond butter? Is it the eggs? Is it the leafy greens? Is it the occasional banana or the apples that I'm eating? Like, what, what is driving this mood? And at the time, this was when the pandemic first started, you know, and everything carnivore diet was making its rounds. And I heard some people talk about improvements in mood and how their depressive symptoms completely went away. So I bought into the hype. And I thought, hey, let me do this. And I did it for about a month and a half. And felt no change (laughs) in my mood at all. And actually what it caused is it caused more strain in my personal life than anything else. You know, because when you're only eating animal-based products, I was literally only eating animal-based things. It becomes very difficult to go out to eat, to socialize, unless you're bringing Tupperware. So it it just created more strain than it is. Well, (laughs) I'm digressing a little bit. And thank you all for allowing me the space to speak my mind and to get out some of these things. But nowadays, the craziest part is I eat more dairy, gluten, peanuts, and these quote-unquote bad foods, again, I don't even wanna use that term because no food is really inherently bad, than I have in a very long time, and I feel fantastic. And I see this quite often clinically, where people believe that any symptom they're having is because of something they ate. And for some people, and we've mentioned this already, and we've alluded to this previously in this episode, Is that's very true if you have IBS it really could be gluten and dairy consumption or onions garlic or any sort of higher FODMAP food that is currently contributing to your symptoms but for a lot of us out there especially if we're already pretty nutritionally literate I think our problem or the solution to our problem lies elsewhere and the problem really isn't with our nutrition but maybe it's our mindset maybe we have a limbic system imbalance from a trauma that we haven't fully addressed. Maybe we have sleep disturbances because we're eating food too late at night, but it's quote unquote good food, and you know we're having blood sugar and blood glucose dysregulations while we sleep. You know, maybe there's something else going on, or maybe we just don't like what we do for a living. Maybe that's—it's not that you need to go from paleo to carnivore. Maybe you need to go from uh, like post office employee to self-made entrepreneur. And I'm—that's not me. That was just—I was trying to think of an alliteration. So that the post office employee was the first P that came to mind. And you know, I love, I actually met a really nice postal man when we lived in St. Louis and he was very sweet and he was, he, you know, when we were leaving, he said his goodbyes. And anyways, I digress. I think oftentimes we need to bark up another tree and not just have this mindset that nutrition will solve any problem. And at the same time though, I'm grateful for that mindset because that mindset is what compelled me to understand the power of food. And food very much can be healing. the, The term food is medicine is sometimes thrown around and there's lots of controversy around that statement. So I don't really want to take the time to unpack that here, but I will say food can be healing. Food can also take away from health, but I don't think, or I no longer think as I used to, that nutrition is always the number one thing you need to go after. Like I said, it could have to do with your movement habits sleep hygiene, stress management. I think there's a lot of people on the internet that are arguing different sides of the nutrition spectrum that if, and even, again, I got to quote Peter Attia, I think he said this, or even Lane Norton, that if these people arguing over nutrition just did 10 more pull-ups a week or or 10 more push-ups a day, they would probably get a lot more health benefits than arguing if you really need to not grill meat that once a month you eat it in order to solve your problems. So I thank you guys for tuning in. And if you want to hear more content or if you want to get more of a kind of both sides of the spectrum approach to a lot of different health topics, I'll put a link in the show notes to my newsletter where each week I send out information on a, a new study in gut health, uh, favorite podcast that I listen to. Sometimes it is this one, granted, and also what I'm currently doing in my health because I'm changing. I try to change some things, you know, like different nutritional tactics or different movement habits, but then there's some things like sleep where you go, hey, seven to eight hours, seven to nine hours is probably good no matter where you're at in life. But I still think it's important to for us to unpack those gut check moments when we decide, hey, do I need to restrict food or do I need to focus on sleep? And I've, I hope if anything, this podcast just helps you understand that it is okay to change your mind on health topics. And honestly, it's a sign that you're learning. Because if you're if you believe the same thing for 10 years, and more importantly, if you believed it, and then when someone tries to challenge that, you feel like your identity is being attacked, that's the perfect feedback that you need to take a look in the mirror and understand why it is you feel so attached to any sort of health claim. Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.